Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 5 of the In Context podcast. This month's guest and topic are both important ones at this time. We're living through very worrying and stressful times with this painstakingly long pandemic, political unrest, climate crises and racial tensions, so it can be very easy to forget to take care of yourself. That's why this month's guest is Sanjeev Sandhu, who runs positive psychology and well-being workshops for the non-profit organisation Art of Brilliance. He's also the co-author of the new book, How to Be a Well-Being. Now, I'll put links for all the various videos and books we discussed in the show notes if you're interested. But in the meantime, here is my conversation with Sanjeev Sandhu. In the book and on the website, it says you're born, born in Wales mm-hmm. to English parents of um, Indian origin. So yep. first question is, how, how did that kind of cultural mix affect you growing up? And how does that affect, does it, do you think it has an effect on you now? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a cultural mix. There's not many um, Welsh Indians, so to say. At least there's not as many um, when I was younger too. But I think as a, you know, in school, it didn't really affect me, to be honest, Greg. It didn't really affect me because being one um, means that, I don't know, after living in London and places like Dubai, I think that the, the, the different treatment that you get for being different, so to say, happens when you start to socialize in those kinds of groups. So being a brown Indian child, but still playing rugby, still going to the church, still singing the Lord's Prayer, you know, still having a Welsh accent, all these kinds of things, still talking about the football and, you know, those kinds of things, I think meant that I was just one of the, one of the same, to be honest. Um, I don't think I faced any kind of different as a younger, you know, say pre the age of 10 or 12. Um, but then as you turn into a teenager, of course, treatment does become different because, um, younger people start reading the news they start learning more, what's going on in the world and these kinds of things but as a youngster very little um, very little at school at home I was completely different because I would eat Indian food I would listen to Indian music I would watch Indian movies I would play cricket with my family but at school it was like you know, I was none of those things um, and then as an adult I'd say oof, I'd, I'd say I'd say it's, it's, it's different because in Wales, like, for example, even now where I live, I live in a very small village called Ostroganlice. And even though our family have been here for 15 years now, if I'm walking around Ostroganlice, and it's a very friendly place, everybody says hello to each other. If I'm walking around Ostroganlice with one of my white mates, people will automatically say hello and look at my white mate and think that I'm the tourist, you know? Right. Because even though we've been here 15 years, it's just that kind of society. So that was different in Dubai was completely different because I was British because of my accent, even though I, you know, looked Indian. And then when I go to India, you know, I'm seen as the white guy again because of my accent and I'm not Indian Indian, you know, in in Britain, I'm the Indian guy. Um, In India, I'm the British guy. And in Dubai, I was like kind of half half. It's crazy. Mm. So on on the, on the surface, it might look like it could be an, uh, a negative thing to be the, the the different one the one that stands out but do you do you take any positives from 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 that yeah loads loads to be honest i think um it's an opportunity i think if you are that odd one out or the different one it's brilliant because you have that opportunity to fly the flag for whatever you represent so a lot of my friends would have a positive connotation with india because they say the way that i speak about india or the way that i speak about cricket or the way that i speak about bollywood music you know, in these kinds of things. I suppose if I was quite anti-India um, and anti-cricket and anti-Indian food and anti-Indian music, then they would have a completely different experience. So I think 
depending on the relationship that that person has with wherever they come from or whatever is unique about them, the way that they represent it is a huge opportunity to, to, you know, push that forwards or to hold it backwards, depending on how you feel deep down. Right. Um, and so you studied accounting at university and then went on to work for, well, the biggest, some of the biggest consulting firms. So my yeah. question there is, well, firstly, why, why was that your first career choice? Yeah, it was, it was very safe, safe, Greg. I think, you know, in, um, again, the stereotype is quite true within Indian families. You know, you, they want you to become a doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer. Um, I did choose to do accounting. I wasn't pushed into doing accounting. I chose to do accounting because I like maths, um, but I didn't like all the formula, the triangles kind of things. I liked the, you know, the application of real numbers. So decided to do accounting, loved it. Worked within consulting because I felt like consulting was a great career for somebody who studied accounting but didn't want to work in accounting. Um, so consulting was still this broad career, you know, worked for Accenture for 12 months as part of university based in London and Edinburgh, which was amazing. Um, then I graduated, worked for Deloitte in Dubai, um, which is of course very different from where I'm from in South Wales, did that for 18 months. And I think the reason I chose consultancy was because it was broad and it allowed me as a younger person to, who wasn't sure what they wanted to do in the world to at least see different things and try different things. I felt like if I'd went into a sales specific role or a finance specific role or a HR specific role or a marketing specific role, I felt like I might have been you know, too pushed into a box, but staying broad as a consultant or a management consultant is, the, is where you do all of those things, but officially you know, just you're broader. You know? So I wanted, to, I wanted to see the world, I wanted to taste the world. I wanted to learn about myself and I felt like consultancy was the safest, um, safe is the, is the broader step within, within a full-time career. Like if I, if I decided to do a gap year, I don't think I would have enjoyed that. My family probably wouldn't have encouraged that. I felt like going into work was, was, was essential and staying broad for me was essential for me. So for society and my parents, it was like, get a job, you finish uni. And then for me, it was like, I still need to figure it out. So what can I do? that is still allows me to figure it out instead of just going into a job and thinking, Oh, I'm going to have this for the next 50 years. Right. And then it goes on to say that you, you decided to put happiness first. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming that, um, well, that implies that you weren't happy working <laughs> in consulting. So what, what, what do you mean when you said, um, you, when you wanted to put happiness first? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big reader, Gregor. I, lo I love reading like personal development books. Um, I think when I started uni, I stopped reading um, like random, I sometimes say random books, like nonfiction books. Um, and then I only read um, autobiographies or personal development books or by books about successful people that I admired. Um, so I was massively into personal development, massively into potential, massively into sports. So I tried to combine all those things together and thought about, you know, my own journey. But the thing is, is coming from Neath, coming from Swansea, you know, South Wales, rains every day. Um, you know, there's not many opportunities here as a younger person. That's why I went to Loughborough to study. And that's why I worked in like London and, and all these things to use my education. But then moving to Dubai was complete opposite of Wales. You know, big, tall buildings, um, sunshine, huge diversity of people. Like on my first day of work at Deloitte, on my right, there was a lady from Saudi Arabia. On my left, there was a guy from Syria. Opposite me were two ladies from Lebanon. And behind me was a Japanese guy. And I'd never, ever, ever 
met any of those people from any of those countries ever before in my life. And then I was immersed in it. I was like, whoa, this is so different to back home. So for me, the reason I say I wasn't as happy or I put my happiness first is that I realized, I think at a very young age, what happiness could feel like and be like for me. And I felt like going down a traditional career path as a finance consultant wasn't me at my best. And at the age of 24, I thought, you know, it's okay. You know, I, w- I was happy, but I wasn't as happy as I could have been. You know, that little bit of potential was nagging at me. And again, you know, when you read so many books, when you read books about, you know, taking risks and going after your dreams, there's only so many of those books you can read before thinking, oh gosh, you know, I should maybe do something. Because if I was, you know, I said to myself, I said, if I'm scared to take this risk at 24, when I've got, you know, no mortgage, no property, no watches, no cars, um, nothing as, you know, as a real big commitment, then what am I going to be like a 34? If I might have a mortgage, I might have a family, I might have a car, you know, and those things need money to pay for them. Um, so yeah, I thought I best to, best to explore different options while younger because mm-hmm. I didn't want to get committed to things, but also I didn't want to get on that treadmill of the corporate world um, where I used to think, okay, if I get promoted, I might earn another 10,000 pounds, say, for example, but what am I going to spend that 10,000 pounds on for me? You know, and I'd, I'd changed my life a lot at that point. I wasn't going out as much. So the, the appeal of, you know, spending all my money in Dubai on these like lovely bars and restaurants had gone. Um, I'd kind of got that out of my system in the first year. And in, t- in terms of traveling, how important do you think traveling is for your happiness? Uh, essential, essential, because you meet different people, you learn about different cultures. And, and of course, you know, documentaries are class. Um, you know, Netflix has some amazing things about different parts of the world. And obviously the TV does too, and books are brilliant too. But unless you're, unless you're utilizing all your senses, Gregor, I think is a, there's a missed opportunity, isn't there? I think there's such an amazing opportunity to meet people, learn stories from real people, you know, unfiltered, you know, straight from the source about what their life was like and what their life is like now. So I think, you know, 100% recommend traveling to every single person. Um, because you learn so much about other people and about other cultures and how other people live in different parts of the world, but also about yourself. You know, I think, you know, traveling is just like food. You've got to taste different things to learn about them. You know, if somebody told me when I was 24 that I would move back to Britain within 18 months, I would have said, no way. I hate Britain. I had no desire, no desire to live in Britain when I left one way ticket, you know, wasn't fussed by it, you know, but by going somewhere, I learned more about myself, learned more about the culture there and realized that for me to grow in the way that I want to grow, it's best to come back. So travel is absolutely critical. I think if you can do it, do it. Obviously, you know, not right now, unfortunately, <laughs> you're in anywhere at the moment and I'm not sure when we will. But, you know, I think, I think explore. What about you? Have, you? have you traveled much? So I travel, yeah, I like to, I think the last couple of years I've been more enjoying um, going to different cities for short periods of time mm. but I mean last year it was maybe like um, like six or seven times I'd went away um, but what I was going to say is I think it's also crucial if you're wanting to travel and experience different cultures and experience the actual people that it's well we'll use Paris as an example 
the way to do Paris maybe isn't just to go to the Eiffel Tower and go to the Louvre and go to all these tourist things. It's a, it's, it's like a walking city when you walk through it and then you just stop in places and speak to people and stuff like that. So I think it's also crucial that if you're wanting to actually go traveling and experience different cultures, you don't just do the tourist holiday. Yeah, hundred percent. You got to you got to meet the real people, haven't you? You go, you know, and this and this is so true, isn't it? It's so true because because when you meet those real people, when you go to those, you know. Um, you know what? I know, I know so many people post about it on Instagram. You know, when they always post about you know these private beaches, which are you know not for tourists yet, and all these kinds of things. Yeah. Whether they are or not is obviously a different conversation. But the point is having that different experience. Um, because if if you go to Paris and you just do what all everybody else does, you'll just get that you know the experience that you read about. But you want to go to maybe those pastry shops and you know different angles of the Eiffel Tower that maybe every other tourist doesn't go to. Mm-hmm. You know, for your own for your own well being, isn't it? You know, to improve yeah. your own experience of that place. I completely yeah. agree with you. Completely. Yeah. Um, and as far as uh, we'll move on to the um, art of brilliance. So, for anyone that doesn't know, um, what is it? Art of brilliance is a brilliant company. Excuse the pun. And art of brilliance <laughs> is a company. It's been around for about fifteen years. Set up by Dr. Andy Cope, who's the first and only UK doctor of happiness. And as simple as the T-shirt says, if you're watching this, it says, "Be beautiful." <laughs> We want people to be the best version of themselves. Because unfortunately, Gregor, uh, mental health was a huge um, challenge in society pre-COVID. You know, to be honest, you know, all the statistics were going the wrong way pre-COVID. Now that COVID happened, you know, they've almost been forced even further down. And Art of Brilliance is a company that works with schools, with businesses, with individuals now through our online programs to try and give them a boost of well-being to be the best version of themselves more often. Because if I was to ask every single listener on your podcast, what does happiness feel like for them, they would probably be able to say. Or if I was to ask every listener what three words to describe yourself at your best, they could probably say. But if I was to ask every listener, how often do you experience that happiness? Or how often are you that best version of yourself? That's when the interesting conversation happens. Because unfortunately, people know what the best version of themselves like, but they're not it six days a week. They might be it once a month. They might be it just on Friday afternoons on a Saturday morning or once they've had two pints, you know, when they put their out of office on, you know, two weeks of the year, they're on holiday, you know, unfortunately, when are people at their best and how can we be at our best self more often? So we use Dr. Andy Cape's PhD, which flipped the subject of psychology on its head. And we'll share more about that later, I'm sure, but flipped the subject of psychology on its head to, to really think about what are these high performing individuals, schools, teams doing, that keeps them up the positive well-being spectrum and what can we learn from them so that we can be our best selves on a more regular basis. Because if I'm the best self that I can be X amount of days per week, and so is Gregor, and so is every listener, the world will be a better place. The world will be a better place and the world is crying out for that. So Art of Brilliance is all based on the science of positive psychology, science of human flourishing, science of well-being, we work with schools, businesses, individuals, to give them a much needed well-being boost in, a, in, a, in an informal way. Okay? We, we call it light-hearted manner, but not light content. And Andy Cape, has, uh, <laughs> he's called it the science, but the science of the bleeding obvious. Because yeah. a lot of it is about personal remembering, about remembering what we're good at, what we enjoy, and embracing that inner child. And how important do you think it is to embrace your inner child then? Because I think if you ask a lot of people what makes you happy, some people might 
not I'm not saying say the wrong thing, but maybe say something that's material or say something like money and stuff like that. That's maybe we're moving in the wrong direction that they maybe should be thinking of a more childlike. Um, yeah. 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 Absolutely. I'd say if again you'd ask these people, maybe maybe not what makes you happy, but maybe say some of the happiest moments in your life to date. Yeah. And a lot of those would not be because of money. You know, they'll be because of the relationships they've had or the places they've been. Yes, you need money to travel and to have certain experiences. And I think if you're using your money on experiences, I'm all for it, you know, within reason. Um, you know, money is to be used. And if you're spending it on experiences, fantastic. Um, so I'd say for those people who, who go straight towards the money, I'd say, okay, fine. But what are you using those things for? If money makes you happy, if that promotion makes you happy, if that six-star all-inclusive hotel in Abu Dhabi is, is what makes you happy, why? Why is that? What feelings does it give you that brings you happiness? Is it safety? Is it the, the thought of being exclusive? Is it the thought of, you know, traveling first class and I'm, I'm different to everybody else? You know, what is it that feeling for? Because once you attach the feeling to it, then you can go even further to say, okay, do you have to get that feeling through that experience? Probably not. It's just often you can say it's just an expensive way to experience that feeling. You know, you can feel that same experience in many other ways too, which would, might save you a lot more money. Um, so it's just, I, I'm, I'm really big into the meaning of certain things and, and why people find happiness in X, Y, Z. Why do, why do you think, well, even pre-COVID, why do you think mental health is so bad right now? Oof. Yeah, question. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say, unfortunately, Gregor, young people especially, older people haven't been trained on how to be well, first of all, I don't think. And younger people, I don't think, are not pointed in the right direction. Um, so for the older people, and obviously I know I've stereotyped us into two different categories here, but traditionally, um, older people were told that money makes you happy. Um, mm -hmm. because money can give you security, money can allow you to buy things, and that's it. So you must have a job, you must have money. And if you, you know, there's so many statistics out there and so much research to say the happiest people in the world aren't the richest people in the world. And that was kind of a revelation maybe 15, 20, 30 years ago. But now we know that. So that's the older people who are always told that, you know, happiness is at the end of the rainbow. You know, we call it destination addiction. You know, happiness is always in that next moment. Then you'll be happy. You'll be happy when you get your next promotion. Happy when you get your next job. Happy when you get your next partner. Happy when you get married. Happy when you have a child. Happy when you experience your first holiday. And blah, 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 blah. Eventually until you retire. Yeah? And then you've got your pension and then you'd be sweet. Then you're happy. But the younger people, we still get sole destination addiction, but not to the same extent. It's almost like we live in a world, Gregor, now, where young people know that money doesn't make them happy. But we still want to find out for ourselves anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like we know that you know, having a Ferrari might not make us the happiest person in the world, but we still want to get one to see for ourselves. Yeah. So I just think the, the way that young people are signposted is, is wrong because the older people weren't trained and don't know where to signpost is to. So the only place we can get signposted to now is social media and what happiness looks like, which is that Ferrari or that first class flight or the business class flight and the private beach and all these other things. But if you knew that you could experience as much or different kinds of happiness or more authentic happiness in different ways, I'm sure people would do that too, because eventually that wears off, Gregor. That wears off. So I think the reason that you know, mental health is so bad is because we don't know where to look for happiness anymore. We don't know where to look. And if we do, I think we're looking in the wrong places.
Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to remember. There's a comedian that talked talked about that. I think it was on Live at the Polo. I'll I'll find it and put a link in the the notes. But he was, I think it's Russell Kane actually. Russell Kane's a comedian, and he's talking about that kind of destination thing where you you you're looking ahead. So it could be like, oh, I, I want I want a relationship. So you move and you get into a relationship, but then you're all, then you look back and wish that you were single again, and then you and then move on to the next thing, and you look, you keep on looking back. So it's it's like a, a tug and pull of the future and the past. So I think maybe the maybe a good a good thing might be is to look at the present and and start focusing on what you're grateful for now and how content you are now, and that might be a better option. What do you, what do you think, Greg? Because I because I know you know this is your topic, this is your podcast. But what what do you think? Like, why do you think it was so bad pre-COVID? Um, for for young people, I think um, social media is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think social media makes you um, compare yourself to others in a lot of different ways. So your looks, your your life in general, your money. You'll look at other people who will be doing more interesting things than you, but they're maybe not actually doing them, or they're heavily edited, or that's maybe one time they've done that in the year, and the rest of their life is just like yours. Um, so I think social media is a big one. I think. For different genders as well, there's different problems for each gender. I think males in particular have a lot of issues with um, obviously expressing your feelings. That's something that's been talked about a lot. Expressing your feelings is one, but also specifically with social media, males. So I, d- I done a study last year on males and social media. Wow. And the big, the most interesting thing I found is the males that I interviewed, if I asked them, what do you want, what do you want people to think with this post? And they would say something like, I want people to think I'm interesting or that I'm doing something cool. None of them mentioned their looks at all. And if I, if I said, if you're on social media and you see someone you know, what do you, what do you think? How do you compare yourself to them? Mm. Again, they did not mention their looks at all. And mm. I think it's, 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 either, it's either that they are telling the truth and males tend not to do that, but I know I don't do that. I, I know that if I'm on social media, I will compare myself either subconsciously or consciously compare myself um, through looks. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the, that's the big ones for um, young people. Um, but I think yeah, what you're saying about um, des- destinations mm-hmm. and um, I think people look too much into the future, look too much into the past, and I think there's also the problem of people who can't find meaning yeah. in what they're doing. I think meaning's a big thing. Um, it's it's a book actually. Um, there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Okay. It's, a, it's, it's about um, a guy that goes through, I think it's three different concentration camps. Mm. And then at the end of it, he comes up with this idea of meaning. And that's maybe why so many people that he knew died because they just lost all sense of meaning in their lives. And then they just, that was it. As soon as they, as soon as they gave up, that was it. So I think meaning's a big part of this as well. Yeah, completely agree. Completely. I think, again, you know, for younger people, you know, I think that's, that's the, you know, you have to taste things. You have to taste things. You have to experience things. You have to find these things out almost the, not the hard way, but for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, you have to know what you like and don't like. And it's the exact same in the restaurant. You know what I mean? You know what you kind of like after going to restaurants X amount of times, but yeah. the first time you go to a restaurant or a different cuisine, you kind of, you kind of just going in a bit blindfold. You have to ask the waiter. You have to ask the waitress. You have to find out what you want, try things and think, Oh, maybe I want to have that again. And sometimes that's as useful as finding something that you like. Mm-hmm. I think also um, think finding out what you like I think the only way that you find out what you're like is to be uncomfortable as well I think yeah. being uncomfortable is so important and I think people um, was a very good quote um, easy choices hard life hard choices easy yeah yeah, yeah I love yeah, it that's, uh, yeah, yeah that's what's what most people will go for the easy choice and then they'll end up 
just having a mediocre life. Or, or, and that's not yeah. what we want as young people, Greg. Yeah. No young yeah. person sets out to have an average life. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I heard, Ga- I um, watch your episode with Gavin Itz, and what does Gavin say about, you know, um, the people who say, you know, it's going to rain in an hour. You know, we all turn into those types of people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. You know, no youngster wants to be like that, but the majority of people turn into that as we grow up. Yeah, and it's even like what you mentioned as well, um, the fact that we all hate Mondays. And it's mm. just like we go through, that's a seventh of our life we dread just because, just because it's a Monday. And it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and campaign, I'm camp- I campaign for Magic Mondays. That's why I call them now, Magic Monday. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, mind a, I don't mind a Monday myself because, mm. well, one, I work part-time, so I can't really actually mm. um, compare. But still. Um, so I know also with the um, Art Billions, you're wanting to bring it to countries in the, in the East, India being one of them. So how important is it to bring these workshops to di- people from diverse backgrounds? It's, yeah, it's crucial, Gregor. Um, thanks for asking that question. It means a lot to me because, again, I am able to do what I do because of the background experiences I've had. Um, I know for Indian Indians, for example, just speaking about India in this example, but it's very, very different. You know, if you found, a, you know, a 24-year-old Indian who studied accountancy and wanted to leave that accounting or finance job, to go and pursue a life within positive psychology and happiness, um, very few families traditionally would encourage that. Um, and that's because it's just the way that our culture is in India. You know, in India, you know, there's a billion people. Um, you know, to, you know they, they throw the other angle of it. You know, you, you mentioned gratitude earlier, but they would use the gratitude in the other way to say, you should be grateful you've got this amazing job. You should be grateful that you've got a, a secure income. You don't know what the world's like on the other side. You're really lucky, which is all true. But for that person, they might feel suffocated. They might not feel like the best version of themselves. And typically, you know, the economic growth of India in the last 25 years is ridiculous. So a lot of our parents and grandparents did have to put up with those kinds of jobs. And they did just have to get on with it. And they didn't like their jobs either. So it's, it's a result of the society which says, we kind of had to do it, you know, so do you. And that's just the way it is. And until, you know, and that's why I'm fascinated by the current young Indian generation who's got access to social media, access to the internet, access to overseas education, is that different perspective that India will experience. I think the parent-child relationship in India will change over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, And I think that's why it's critical that well-being goes to those places because, you know, I found that when I had this job at Deloitte, amazing job at Deloitte, tax-free, you know, huge company, ama- amazing life. You know, it was everything I always wanted. I dreamed of that. I absolutely dreamed of that. So my mom was extremely happy, extremely, extremely happy. And that made me happy because she was happy. But when I started thinking about a different kind of job, I could see that her happiness kind of like, oh, God, you know, saying just the unknown, you know, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to make money? How are you going to, where are you going to stay? You know, all these kinds of questions. But I realized that now, you know, fast forward two and a half years and, you know, the transition has been bumpy, but, you know, the transition has definitely happened now. I'm, I'm on the other side now and I'm incredibly happy, you know, and she is happier than when she was. You know, so I used to live my life to say that, you know, my mom's the happiest person in the world, which makes me happy. But now I've realized from a parent perspective, now I'm happy and, you know, authentically happy. She's happier. But I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. And I think that's the challenge in places like India, where parents have this vision for their children and the children feel so 
pressurized at times to go into a certain field to make their parents happy. But all their parents want is for the child to be happy. So nobody cares really what you do if you do it well and you're successful at it. Nobody cares. But the point is not that journey is bumpy. And that's what gives people a lot of fear. So I think imagine if there was, you know, in India over the next 10, 15, 20 years, I want to play a huge part there. But, you know, educating parents, educating children to what is happiness? You know, what is success for you? You know, now we know that success is not necessarily a huge house or a flashy car or these eight holidays a year. What is success? You know, success is enjoying every single day. You know, success is having an amazing relationship. Success is, you know, being able to openly speak with your parents and learn from them. You know, that is what success is. So it's redefining that metric of success, especially for the youth. And we have that in Britain. I think in Britain, as a, as a younger society, we have that opportunity. You know, I used to work in the cinema when I was 16 because my mom wanted me to have a job. But in India, there's not many people, especially from, say, the privileged backgrounds, who would have a job when they're 16 and that wouldn't be working in the cinema. You know, here we, we're still given that freedom to explore and experiment ourselves. Therefore, when I made that decision at 24, it's not my mum just thinking, oh, he's just, you know, he's just read one book and he's, you know, he's he wants to change his life. You know, that's eight years of exposure to the real world to then want to figure it out for himself. And I think that's the, that's the challenge and that's the opportunity in places like India. Um, and I'm only speaking about India specifically because I, I kind of know a little bit about the, the culture, but I think that's the huge opportunity in India is that we have uh, a huge generational cultural change happening in India right now. And that can either go a positive way or it can go the other way. And pre-COVID, it was going the other way because the younger people are more confused than ever before. Bullying is up, suicide is up, all the negative health statistics are going up. So something needs to change. Um, and I'm hoping that is a well-being revolution in India. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you, you're saying that you, your, your road to where you got to now was bumpy. So yeah. maybe a good question is how... How, uh, how important, um, well, uh, should you be prepared to fail? Um, I think if you're, if you're being ambitious enough, then you should be prepared to fail. If you're, if you're, if you're not prepared to fail, you're not being ambitious enough. Do you think that's yeah, true? Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite quotes, I noticed you're into quotes too, Greg, so you love this one, hopefully. Yeah. You've never heard it before. <laughs> but it's along the lines of most people are not happy because they aim high and they miss, but because they aim low and they hit. And I think that's so true. So true. You know, most people are unhappy because they, they want X and they get X and that's it. Yeah. You know, they want their normal job. They want their normal relationship. They want their normal holidays. And then, you know, ironically, they achieve it probably sooner than they expected. And that's it. So 25, 26, 30, whatever it is, you think oh, I've made it now. You've made it. So, and that's what happened to me. I thought, you know, I, I felt like at 24, I peaked in life. I genuinely felt like I peaked. And unless you're a sports person or a YouTuber in the modern day, not many people peak at 24. You know, Alex Ferguson's, the Jose Mourinho's, the Barack Obama's, you know, whoever you want to look at who you deem as successful, unless they're a sports athlete or involved with, you know, YouTube or, you know, blogging and blogging, not many of them peak at 24. Um, so you have to be prepared to, to look within, to then go outwards to aim for that, we call them huge, unbelievably great goals, the Art of Brilliance, have that huge, unbelievably great goal. And on that, there will be bumps. And any book you read or any successful person or any person you admire will tell you that you have to be prepared for bumps. So I just think it's, it's, it's whether you, and it's the first bump, isn't it? It's the first bump that 
gives you that indication. You're like, ooh, because you never expect it. You, you kind of, you can tell yourself, I'm going to get a bump, okay? But until you experience that first bump, you're like, ooh, okay, that's what a bump feels like. You either like it, you never, actually, you never like it. You either get used to it and you say, okay, I think I could go through the same situation again and do something different. Or you think, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, this isn't for me. And then you go back to wherever you came from before. And I think that's why the first bump is really crucial. And I think, you know, as a society now, we have to encourage that behavior to, to say, yes, there are bumps. And I think if anything, COVID has normalized that. You know, COVID is the biggest bump for every single person in the world, you know, yeah. and it's normalized the, the, the thought that things are beyond our control and we have to simply deal with them. So this is a huge bump in society now. And you'll get some people who say, oh, I don't like this uncertainty. Oh my gosh, no way, no way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the most secure job I can. I'm going to get the most secure relationship I can. And I'm going to stick to that because I never ever want to feel uncertain again. Yeah. And that's okay if it's that, for that person. But there'll be other people who say, you know what? You know what? If this is what a bump is like, I can handle this. I'll yeah. crack on with this. I'll get on with it. I'll, you know, I'll get through this. And those will be the people who say, you know what, I want this. And I'm going to do everything I can to get there. And this is just a bump. Yeah. It's, you know, it's huge times in society now. I think it was also interesting with COVID when we were in lockdown, the contrast of um, people, of what people done through lockdown. Yeah. So you had some people that actually became really much more productive because they had all this time off. They weren't working. They, were, they ended up getting like fitter and they were, they were working on projects that they, were, they didn't think about doing before. And then you had other people who, who panicked and just kind of like, like scrunched up in a ball and just kind of um, waited until it was over, until the pubs opened inevitably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we'll move on to the book, um, yeah. which I've got here. So it's called... Um, how to be a well-being. Now, I'm using. So I'm like you. I really, I really like self-improvement books. But since I've read so much, mm. I usually get pretty skeptical when I see a yeah. new one. So I'm, I'm always kind of like, oh, it's, it's another one. It's going to be this kind of Instagram quotes kind of thing. But the amount of, so I usually, this is another thing I do. I'll fold down that page if I like a quote from it. I'll mm. come back to it. I'll take a picture of my phone and then I log all these quotes. Amazing. And it was honestly, it was like every other page, so far anyway, I'm about halfway through every other page, I'm folding down, folding down. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's, that's my, it's my recommendation anyway for everyone to read it. But just quickly before we get into it, how generally, what's, what's the book about? The book is about, it's got 22 rules on how to be the best version of yourself. And like you said, Gregor, a lot of people are into books and a lot of people are into personal development books. But the challenge with a lot of those personal development books is that we read them, we, we get what it says, but we don't do it. And yeah. then we read the next book. And so many times I get asked now, you know, Sanj, recommend me like a top five, top 10 books yeah. that'll, you know, help me sort my life out. And I'm like, mm, no, I start saying no now. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not gonna, I say, I'm not going to recommend you 10. I recommend you one, read yeah. it, do what it says, yeah. and then see what happens. Because, you know, it's ne you know, now we live in a world where there's so many resources it's never a question about having resources today as a younger person. We've got the internet, yeah? We've got the internet. But it's a question of being resourceful, okay? It's a question about being resourceful. So this book, I believe, Hand on My Heart, is that if you do, if you read it and engage with the material and you do, whatever the 22 rules work for you, whatever ones that you feel most aligned and comfortable with and, and you know, comfortable to also push outside of your comfort zone and to explore, if you do those wholeheartedly, you will experience more well-being. And when you experience more well-being, you experience more positivity, creativity, resilience, you experience better relationships, 
you enjoy your life more. And also other people start to enjoy their life more because you are. And I think there's so many people who want to improve the well-being of other people. But imagine if, you know, it's, it's happiness is an inside job. You know, you start with yourself. The best way to improve other people around you is by improving yourself, by upgrading yourself. So this book, it was written before COVID, which is really ironic, but it's so appropriate. And I think it's become more appropriate in a COVID and post-COVID world to adjust to whatever this new normal is going to be. Because the bad news, Gregor, is that we don't know what this new normal is. You know, six, seven months into lockdown now, we're still online. Unis are still online. They announced yesterday, you know, whatever they've done about, you know, workplaces. So we don't know what the new normal is going to be like. We don't know when we're going to travel again. We don't know. We genuinely don't know. We all thought it'd be fine by Christmas. Yeah? yeah. But it's not. So we don't know what the new normal is going to be, which is the bad news. But the good news is the new normal, we still don't know what it is. So we have a chance to form ourselves um, into that best version of ourselves. So whatever this normality, whatever it ends up turning out to be, we're going to be in a good position to do something fantastic for the world. And I think, if anything, this is a huge stepping stone for people who seize the opportunity. But you can only see opportunities and take opportunities if you're in the right frame of mind. So long story short, but this book will help you get in that right frame of mind for when the world settles down, for you to be in a better position to do what you want to do in life. Right. And uh, a concept you mentioned in it is uh, presenteeism. Um, So you walk us through what that means. Presenteeism is when people at work, and I had it, I had it in the corporate world, is when you stay at work for the sake of being at work and you're not productive. So it's when you finish all your work at four o'clock, but you're conscious that you need to stay till six o'clock. So you're going to spend two hours just sitting at work doing nothing, scrolling the internet. Okay. And you will get paid for those two hours, which is obviously a cost to the company, but you will produce nothing. Um, It's the opposite of absenteeism where people are not coming to work because of their mental health. Presenteeism is when people are staying at work because of their mental health. So they're not being as effective as they need to be but they still being physically present at work, but emotionally they're on a different planet. Yeah. And so why, why, why do you think that there's so little genuinely positive and inspiring people? So I was having this conversation um, yesterday and the way I see it is there, there almost has to be so few to make them that kind of light. Because if, if everyone or if the majority of people were like that, we wouldn't notice them as much. So how, why, why do you think there's so little anyway at the moment? Yeah, I think because I think it's really hard, Gregor. It's really hard. You know, it's, um, it's really challenging to be, you know, in our brains, we call them two percenters. You know, 2% of the human population based on the Cape study are, you know, living their best life or flourishing in life, 2%. And so it's pretty hard. You know, we call it the F word. It takes a lot of effort to be your best self on a consistent basis. It takes a huge amount of effort. So how... Oh, you know, why there's so few of them. I think it's because it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and people, but it's not as hard as people think. And that's the point. That's the really, you know, the sad part of it is that we're a creature of habit, good habits and bad habits. And unfortunately, these unhappy people just have bad habits. You know, you can create good habits. Yes, it takes a lot of work, but if you're going to have habits anyway, you may as well have good ones. <laughs> you know, so I think it's, it's, really, it's really hard to be... Um, a well-being in today's world. So I think that's why there's less of them. Um, I hope that through COVID, we will end up producing more because there will be people like yourself who will grab it by the scruff of the neck and say, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be around for another 40, 50 years. I'm not, you know, sticking, sticking at average. You know, I'm going for it. 
So I think it takes a lot of effort and that's the, the sad part for me. Mm. And one, one part I've really liked is that is the wishes that you guys being the mm. authors have for everyone else. I love that because it was so, it was so realistic and it's, oh. it's the stuff that I've been, I've been reading about um, recently. So like, so for anyone that's not read it, um, it was stuff like you hope, um, the reader gets an illness, they go through a bad breakup, they get passed over for a promotion. So how, how important is it for these failures? And is it, is it just a case of being able to persevere so that you're a better person at the end? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the intention of that chapter, you know, it is very in your face. It is very woe. Um, you know, it does make you introspect about what you've been through in life and what you might have to go through. But the premise of it is exactly what you said, Gregor, is, is thinking about to get what I want, takes a lot of effort and you know there's there's no such thing as a smooth mountain you know that's another quote you know to get to that top of the mountain to get where you want to get there will be bumps and the sooner that you taste them the sooner that you experience them the sooner that you learn how to deal with them because that's all the difference is great you know the difference between happy people or well-beings and unhappy people and ill-beings traditionally you know from a mindset perspective is that these happy people just get through what they need to you know, whoever you deem as successful right now in the world, you know, if you were to ask them about the, the failures or the, the bumps in their journey, they could talk for hours about them. They could talk for hours about them. And that's a common theme between all high performing people. So you almost have to just say, if I want to get there, I've got to go through the storm to get there. Um, so, yeah, that chapter is quite in your face. Um, it is a brilliant chapter. Um, so I'm glad you love it. Um, so also they mentioned a lot about um, loving yourself so how is that something is that like number one is that the first thing you should be doing is loving yourself it's kind of like the airplane analogy you don't yeah. you don't help anyone else unless you've you've helped yourself kind of thing yeah exactly it's exactly like that it is exactly like that airplane analogy um, another analogy i heard before is um it's like if you saw somebody drowning in the sea your first reaction is to go and help that person but what if you can't swim what if you can't swim yeah. at that depth? You know, you're better off calling off a lifeguard or calling the emergency services. Otherwise, both people end up drowning, you know? So it is definitely taking that huge amount of time for yourself. Maybe not huge in terms of a, a numerical amount. You know, it's taking that commitment, making that huge commitment to yourself. But you know what? Today, what am I going to do for myself? Because I'd advise every single person who listens to this podcast to write down a list of at least 10 things that make them happy that they can do within 24 hours that doesn't involve buying an expensive item, okay? So list 10 things that make you happy, part one. Part two is I'd say do as many of those things every single day. If listening to music makes you happy, listen to your favorite song every single morning. Why not? It takes three minutes. Yeah. Three minutes. You're going to be in a better mood. So it's all about putting yourself in a better position so that when things happen, which they will, You'll get an email from somebody who's saying something that you don't like. You'll experience a bad driver. You'll experience an annoying person in the supermarket. You'll get somebody who takes a dig at you and all these things. So when those things happen, if you're in a more positive frame of mind, you will deal with them better. You will respond better instead of reacting emotionally, which is great at times, but also very scary at times because when you react emotionally, you might not be the best version of yourself. Your emotions might tell you different things. You have to train yourself to respond instead of react sometimes. And that starts with yourself. How much, how much, how much control do you think we have to be well-beings? Um, I think, I think a, lot, a lot of the issues can come when um, there's external factors that we can't control. So like, I'm lucky enough to have a supportive family um, 
to not have to worry too much about money to be able to have the time to read the book. So how do we get how do we get around um, issues like poverty and um, just people who are who are struggling right now? How do we make them better beings? Is that yeah. is that a different challenge? Yeah, absolutely. It's completely um, it's different, but also the same. So luckily, over the last six months, I started my own PhD. So I'm doing my own PhD at Honsu Uni. Um, and one of my biggest learnings for that is a scientific, def- de- uh, scientific definition of well-being. And that is a three-pronged approach. So that means connecting to ourselves, which is typically our mindset, connecting with others, the relationships that we have, and connecting with the environment, which is the environment within which we live. So we see well-being as three aspects, our mindset, our relationships, and our relationship with the environment. So regardless of anybody's, say, financial position, I would say within reason, of course, if you build yourself up in your mind, you have fantastic relationships and you experience like 20, 30 minutes outdoor every other day, you will experience more well-being. So the challenge for that is how do we encourage people, regardless of their position, to experience or, you know, upgrade those three aspects? You know, what can anybody do? What can anybody listening to this do to improve their well-being? That, you know, that's the most fundamental part for me. So it's split up into three things, our mindset, our relationships, and our relationship with the environment. Do you think it's more important to be physically well or mentally well? Or is it finding a balance, striking a balance? Yeah, very difficult question, isn't it? Very yeah. difficult. I, I, I probably lean, just because of the work that I do, I'd probably say it's more important to be um, mentally well than physically yeah. well. Um, because I know that a lot of um, things that happen to us physically are a result of the thoughts that we have in our head. Um, And I think that if you're mentally well, you've got more chance of being um, understanding the relationship with physical health too. Whereas unfortunately, a lot of people are physically well, but they're not mentally well. Um, So I think if you were to, you know, and that's why I, I compare physical health and mental health to each other so much, but you know, if you've got the discipline and determination to, to look great and feel great physically, you know, you're, you're 70% there. You just apply the same thing to your mind and you're laughing. But, you know, the other way around, it's, it's, it's not the same. So I think mental well-being is, I don't have a percentage, um, yeah. but I think mental well-being would come first just because of the amount that, the amount of challenges and perceptions, you know, everything comes down to perspective. Everything comes down to perspective. I think, you know, one of my other favorite quotes is that if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So if you change the way you are in your life and the way that you view mental well-being, that might open up other doors like physical well-being. You know, you might say to yourself, you know, instead of being scared to go to the gym because other people are going to judge me, I could think, okay, they're all judging themselves anyway. Nobody cares what I do in the gym. And they're also just glad that I'm there doing something. You know, so if I apply that mindset, I will go to the gym and that will improve my physical well-being also because I've improved my mental well-being first. Um, so I think well, mental well-being comes first, but I think that opens up all the other doors, including physical well-being. And I think physical well-being is absolutely fundamental to mental well-being too. Fundamental. Yeah. Do you think, do you um, partake in any sort of like mindfulness or meditation or anything I do, like that? I do gratitude. I'm a massive, right. massive believer in gratitude. So I think today is day 887, 877, sorry, 877 right. of gratitude expression. So I did, um, I signed up to do a happiness course um, in May 2018, 21 day happiness challenge. <laughs> right. And um, the first thing they said was to express three things that you're grateful for every single day. 
Um, so I did it for 21 days. I felt a lot better and I thought, okay, I'll just carry it on. And so every single day now, I used to do it in the morning. Now I do it at night. And the ironic thing, Gregor, is that I used to do it before bed because I used to have difficulty sleeping. Especially when I was working at Deloitte, I used to think, overthink about every single thing. Every email I sent, every person I'd interacted with, you know, what emails am I going to wake up to the next morning? I used to have quite difficulty sleeping or you know, making the most of my time in bed. So I thought I'd do my gratitude at night. And it massively helped because I put myself in a positive frame of mind before going to sleep. Um, and now, after you know, maybe, say, 800 days of doing it at night, I've got to the point where now if I can't sleep, it's because I haven't done my gratitudes. You know, so sometimes I will not do them and I'll just be, you know, have my day and I'll just be in bed and I think, oh, why can't I fall asleep today? And then it's time to my gratitude. And I do, every single time, you know, obviously I've wired my brain to do so, but once I've expressed my gratitude, I'm conked out. But gratitude for me is, is the foundation of happiness. I use um, an analogy of a satellite navigation or a GPS. Mm. A lot of people in life will know where they want to go. They know the destination. But how many people know their starting point? And for me, gratitude is that starting point. Gratitude is that first point. Because if you don't know your starting point, when you put a GPS, it just you know, goes round until you find where you are. And that bit, everybody's finding themselves on there. They're thinking about where am I right now? Because once you know where you are, once you know where you've got to go to, it doesn't matter if the destination changes in life, but if you know where you are, you can plan more accordingly. And I think for me, gratitude is that foundation. And for me, it's been the biggest biggest positive influence in my life over the last two and a half years right and with the book lastly what what are maybe a couple of your favorite rules from the book you think that have Mm. have the most impact yeah um one of them is about gratitude because i think that um you know if you express things that you're grateful for um you learn what's going on in your head um and most people will think that they're ready quite grateful in terms of they're polite they say thank you but I challenge these people to express why they're grateful for something. So instead of saying that I'm grateful to have a glass of water, I could say I'm grateful to have a glass of water by me because when I speak so much, I get thirsty. Um, So having a glass of water near me allows me to rehydrate myself, which obviously nourishes my mind, but also allows my voice to sound a bit smoother. You know, for example, if you express why, you know, you, you know, you find out meanings to things which you never knew. And I, and I go even go one step further to that. And I'd say for anybody in a relationship, personal or professional, if you start your meetings or interaction with a round of gratitude, that meeting or interaction you will have will be a much more positive experience, regardless of the topic. It comes back to what you said at the start of the podcast. You know, easy conversations, difficult life, difficult conversations, easy life. If you do something difficult around a gratitude, just go there. You know, put yourself in that little uncomfortable position to express something you're grateful for. I guarantee you whatever you talk about afterwards will be more meaningful. Yeah. So gratitude. Um, Sorry, go on. I was just going to say that um, uh, we've just got the kind of quick fire questions to go. I'm just making yep. sure you've, you're still okay for time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Can I give you Can I give you top tip number two of the book? Of course. Go for it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Sorry. Super, super, super. So I'd say take yourself to the bathroom, right? So everybody listening to this, if you're in a stationary place, close your eyes. Okay, close your eyes. Take yourself to the bathroom. That bathroom might be the only place on the planet where you are without your phone. Okay. Or if you like me, put my hand up. I've sometimes used my phone in the bathroom too, okay? No, there's no judgment space. You know, I'm happy to share that today on the podcast. But that bathroom has usually got a toilet. It's usually got a sink. It's usually got a mirror, okay? That mirror in your bathroom has seen every single part of your life, everything. And I don't even have to go there in terms of imagination of what it's seen. But the one thing that it sees you do twice a day, Gregor, is brushing your teeth. 
Okay, so every single day you brush your teeth typically in front of that mirror. And when you're there with your toothbrush, we say in Wales, toothbrush, but in, you know, what's in Scotland? Do you say toothbrush or toothbrush? Toothbrush. Tooth. Yeah. Yeah, so in England they say tooth as well. So you've you got your toothbrush, you've got your toothpaste. And that feeling when you've got a fresh tube of toothpaste is amazing. Easy peasy, toothpaste squeezy. You just do a little, little squeeze, blurts out onto your toothbrush, sorted. After a few days, or if you share your bathroom with other people, after literally maybe a couple of days, that toothpaste tube is more empty. There's less toothpaste in there. So you have to squeeze a little bit harder to get more toothpaste out. And then my question is for every single listener, when your toothpaste gets to the end and it's just like a flat tube, are you a toothpaste tube roller upper? Do you roll it up and you squeeze it to get that bit of toothpaste out? If no, I encourage you to do so because it's always worth it. And that analogy applies to life. It's why the last bit of a workout, the last 15% of a workout is killer. That's why making meal prep is annoying. It's why getting your bag ready the night before, before school was a nightmare. Yeah, but it's always worth it once you've done it. So I'd say squeeze the most out of your toothpaste and squeeze the most out of every single day. Because if you do, you will feel better. So that's my top two tips. Brilliant. Um, So we've just got um, quick fire questions. Now, these are... These are not questions I made up. These are questions from an author called Tim Ferriss, one of my favorite guys, um, and um, James Lipton from the Actors Studio. They're really fun um, questions. You always get good, good answers from it. So first, uh, best purchase of £100 or less? Um, ooh, this microphone, £9.45. Um, right. I bought it a few weeks ago because um, when I do sessions online, I like to move about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got um, a big cord with a microphone attached to it. Because I used to have a headset before that, but it was a bit restrictive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this little speaker from Amazon 945 has been my best purchase in recent times. Lovely. I'll get a link and I'll, I'll, pop, I'll pop that in the notes. <laughs> um, what's, um, so going back to what you said before, what book would you give out the most? Or what book have you gifted the most? Yeah. Um, you can say your own if you want. No, no, no. no yeah. <laughs> Apart from that book, I'd say the book that changed my life is the original book from Dr. Andy Cope and Andy Whitaker which is called mm-hmm. The Art of Being Brilliant. I read that at university. It's right. the, the first book that's ever felt like it was written for me when I read it. Mm-hmm. I felt like the book was reading literally at me. Um, so full of practical tips. And yeah, that had a huge positive impact on my life. So The Art of Being Brilliant by Dr. Andy right. K. and Andy Whitaker. I'll link that one as well. Um, so if you, if you could have a, a billboard, a massive billboard somewhere in the street, what quote would you want on it? Or what would you just want it to say? Not to be a quote. Mm-hmm. What would I want it to say? At Art of Brilliance, we believe in the seven little words, seven little words to change your life. And we say, do it better than you have to. Yeah. So if you did everything in your life better than you have to, you'd be sorted. If you replied to that email from that person that you don't like better than you have to, you'd feel better. If you greet people in your own house when you're feeling a bit meh better than you have to, you'll feel better. So I'd say, do it better than you have to. That's a good one. That should be Nike's new slogan. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Oof, 18-year-old sounds. Um, that's ironic, actually, eight years ago, that would have been, just before I started uni this week, eight years ago. Um, I'd say to Sanj, I'd say just, yeah, do everything, taste everything, meet everybody, do whatever you want. Um, enjoy as much as you can every single day. I, I'd, I'd probably advise myself to write that list. Write the things that make you happy and do as many of them every single day, because life's yeah. too short. A good one. Um, favorite word? Favorite word, gosh. Um, oh, 
has to be lush. Being a Welsh person, it has to be lush. Yeah, I love the word lush. Um, least favorite word? Fine. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. I don't like um, favorite, favorite curse word? Ooh, favorite bad word? Um, yeah, this is a good question. Let me think for a minute. Favorite bad word? Yeah. First word that comes to my head is an idiot. Um, or, a okay. muppet, or a muppet. Muppet. I like. I call people muppet. I like to call people muppet. <laughs> it's a nice PG version to call yeah. someone. <laughs> um, what What thing helps you best creatively? Um, time away from any technology. Um, so it could be sitting in the garden by myself. Could be going for a walk. Could be having a really amazing conversation. I'd say. Mm. I'd say even platforms like this. I know we're on technology, but I'm not distracted by technology. Yeah. So I'd say when I'm immersed in an experience without right. technology or with the absence of notifications. Mm. And what, what thing would um, hinder you creatively? Would it be technology distracting you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's having that. Yeah, but um, it's addictive. You know, you only have to read a little bit about technology to realize how addictive they make it. But, you know, the mm. sound of an email notification, the lights popping up your phone to say you've got a message, you know, that is distracting. Um, mm. I'd say that's the biggest hindrance for creativity. Right. And um, what, what sound do you love? What sound? Yeah. Um, I don't want to say rain. Um, I, like, I like the sound of waking up in the morning and if you've got the window open, if you know it's quite early, but you don't know what time it is, but you can just hear a couple of cars on the street. I like that. Yeah, okay. That's a good one. Um, so what, what sound do you hate? Um, what sound do I hate? Rain. I don't really like rain, to be honest. I don't mm. like the rain. Um, so, yeah, it comes back to childhood, you know, waking up in the morning, just hearing rain, you're like, oh, I can't play cricket today, can't play footy right. in the yard. And, you know, got to walk to school in the rain, I'm going to get soaked, I'm going to stink, and everything's going to mm. smell damp. Yeah, rain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what profession other than your own would you most like to do? Sports. I would love to be a professional sports person. Right. And what profession other new would you least like to do? Um, what would I least like to do? Oof. Um, I don't think I'd be a very good like um, like first aider, like doctor. You know, like dealing with like you know very stressful um, or traumatic mm. patients, like in, you know in A and E. I don't think I'd be very good at that at all. Yeah, you're the second person to say that. I'm, yeah. I'm the same. Like it's a specific type of person that can do that, and it's just it's mm. not for me. <laughs> um, and lastly, so if if God exists, what do you want Him to say when you get to the pearly gates? <laughs> Oh, it has to be a cricket reference. I'd say that was a good inning. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, and so, yeah, fi finally, where can, where can people um, stay up to date with what you're doing? Or, um, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So I'm very active on LinkedIn, Sanjeev Sandhu. I'm on Instagram, Sanjeev S. Sandhu. And yeah, um, and that's it. LinkedIn, Instagram, Art of Brilliance. Mm -hmm. I'll be doing my thing. Hopefully to a school or business or join one of our online programs soon. And yeah, yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gregor. It's been awesome. It's been a great chat. I feel like I made a new friend. So yeah. thank you for welcoming me. Well, what we, what we were saying earlier is that there are so few um, kind of positive and inspiring people. And I would definitely know, I'd put you, I'd definitely put you in that camp of that minority of people. So yeah, yeah it's thanks. been a great chat. No, appreciate it. And yeah, keep in touch, Gregor. And anyone who's listening to this, if you want to get in touch, please feel welcome to do so anytime. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time. Super.
And that's episode five. Again, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a positive review. It means a lot. It'd be much appreciated. You can also watch the show on YouTube. Just search for GT Media UK, all one word. So stay safe, take care of yourselves and stay tuned for episode six next month.